You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Another Friday, another video marketing podcast, more value, other good things hopefully going to happen today. (laughs) We're talking about B2B marketing today. Some people have a very tough time marketing uh, to businesses versus consumers, and uh, it makes a whole lot of sense. And there's a ton of bad stuff happening out there. But specifically today, we're going to talk about how to use B2B video to sell to other businesses. And I'm very interested to dig into this topic. I'm talking to Guy Bauer today. He's the founder and creative director of Umalt. Thank you so much for being here, Guy. Thanks for having me, Matt. For sure. So can you just tell us uh, just a little bit first about how you got into video and what you do? Yeah. So I picked up my dad's VHS camcorder in the seventh grade. I had to make a project for Ricky Tiki Tavi and Normally, and this is like 1993, normally you make a diorama or something like that. And I got the idea to make a video. So went in the backyard with my friends and got some stuffed animals. And But the magic part was after we filmed and we had to film it live into the camera, we were able to overdub music onto the video and when i played that for my classmates i was as i was on the same level as steven spielberg their minds were blown so ever since that day (laughs) video has been my medium as an artist as a storyteller if my medium was painting i would paint but for some reason video is the medium and so it was a hobby from seventh grade all the way up till 2009 and the recession hit And I sent out like a hundred resumes, didn't go on one interview. And so I started freelancing as a video dude. And my first project was for $50 to edit this guy's puppy videos. And I did it on the platform guru and he gave me a five-star review, nice write-up. And that was it. That was the launch of my agency and all along the way. So I didn't start from a marketing background. So the good part of that is I didn't have the bad habits of old agencies and stuff like that and old points of view. But I, also, the bad news is that I made a ton of mistakes that could have been avoided if I had a little bit more experience. But I think that kind of amateur mentality led to where we are now, where it's, well, why are Nike videos called ads and spots and B2B ads and spots called corporate video? And save for the million dollar budget, Christian Slater, HP, the Wolf, and those really cool B2B things that a big agency did and they spent a bunch of money on. Why is it that B2B is this boring, like corporate speak stock, same stock footage over and over with disruption laid over the Tokyo intersection in hyperlapse, yada. Why is that? And, and I didn't know the answer to that because I, again, was inexperienced. So I started making ads for our B2B clients that were fun, funny, made you cry or stuff. And they blew up and that's where we are today. So we're a, a B2B agent. You know, we're an agency that specializes in B2B. And so this is a great transition. Why don't we just start here? What are the biggest mistakes that you see? You mentioned some of them, but what are the glaring biggest mistakes you see when businesses approach video for marketing purposes? 
I would say that the biggest thing is they are either consciously skip. Let me take a step back. So how do you make an amazing video? How do you do that? And most people think it's set a shoot date and pick a camera. And that's wrong. How do you make a great video actually starts without video? It's a, so I say it's a two-step process. Step one, come up with an idea. Step two, make the video. Put another way is if you want to build a custom house, you don't call the carpenter and the plumber individually and try to see if they could coordinate or, or come up with an idea for you for a house. You're going to have a pretty wonky house. Step one is you call an architect. The architect doesn't actually do the nailing or the screwing of things or the in installation. The architect is the dreamer. The carpenter will ask you questions like, do you want two by fours or I have nothing. I, I don't know, but do you want it on center or what kind of drywall you want quarter inch or you know, they're going to ask you very right. practical questions. The architect will ask you like, all right, what's your vibe as a human? What do you, what kind of art do you like? Are you into nature? And they're going to ask you all dreamy questions because the architect is trying to come up with the idea for the house, which then he or she will blueprint out for the carpenter, the plumber, and all those technicians to build to the, staying loyal to the blueprint. So to answer your question, the biggest mistake is skipping step one. That is the chronic mistake that I see across the board is they skip step one, go right to step two, calling the carpenters, the plumbers directly, but without a blueprint for an idea. Okay. So that's the, so there's that, right? Obviously you see that all the time. People think that video is all about gear, but video is all about ideas and stories. And then it's just about how you translate it. So I love that. It makes a ton of sense. What about specifically in the B2B niche? You mentioned a little bit of it before when you were talking about this corporate video type thing. Can you expand on that a little bit and why it's not effective? Yeah, it's not effective because so it, as part of all of our engagements, I do my favorite part of is of our strategic engagements. Maybe it's because I'm from New Jersey and we're trash talkers in New Jersey. But now, where are you from in New Jersey? I'm from Matawan, New Jersey. Oh, cool, cool. Monmouth I lived County. in Montclair for years myself when I was working in Manhattan. So I know my New Jersey. Oh, oh, yeah. So my favorite part of our engagements is the competitive analysis. So that's where. I look at, we look at their direct competitors, their indirect competitors and see what everyone's doing. And I swear to you, Matt, this is not an exaggeration. Uh, when you actually put the content that the competitors are making out on a spreadsheet, like a dispassionate spreadsheet, right? With a field that says insert link here. And you watch the competitors videos, they are comically the same comically some cases they use they buy the exact same shots you know how it was such a dust up in the super bowl that two ads used the same shot in there and you wonder where they're getting them from and when you work in video marketing like we do you see this too right have you ever seen the same story blocks b-roll and the same similar commercials it's always hilarious and it's only when you do that competitive analysis that you go because usually our clients want to go that route because it is safe. 
because there's less perceived risk. And it's only when you itemize the competitors and you, you ask the question, is there more risk in doing what both of your competitors are doing or maybe doing something totally different? And that's where we get licensed to do something different. But so a chronic thing I see is the illusion of safety in almost like conformity. It's why when you go to trade shows, where it's B2B trade shows, everyone has a race car metaphor or analogy for their cloud service. Everyone, period, has a race car metaphor. It's because two years ago, someone did one, then we want to do that. And so it's the lack of risk-taking that causes the banality and the just complete white noise. Because if, if you add to the pile of sameness, you're doing nothing. Take your logo out and it's the same as your competitor's message. And so it's, to me, it's, you have to risk. You must risk, not in a silly, dumb way, but in a calculated, smart way, there's got to be a risk that's being taken or else you'll be the same. I love that. I love that idea of the illusion of safety. It's 100% true. It's actually true. If you ask me, it's true in all of business and life in general. <laughs> uh, it's a broad thing. But certainly when it comes to advertising and marketing, sameness is an illusion. And, and, and I think this is where we run into a couple of where we run into some core issues when we're trying to emulate because we often say, okay, where do we start? And okay, well, let's start with what we know works because that's the easiest place to start. And then we can take it from there. And that is a mistake that some people often make because when you start from what you know works, number one, very often we don't know if it works. Can you look at one of Cisco's ads or something and be like, oh, Cisco does it. So that must work. <laughs> what does work mean exactly? Right. Or, and that's a huge company, but whatever, even if you're in e-commerce space or if you're a B2B marketing, your agency or whatever it may be, your consultancy, you look at what other people do and say that works. I can just cookie cutter that um, mm -hmm. and just template that. And you, it's exactly what you're talking about. You run into that issue without that risk that you're taking then you're potentially you're running into you're basically instead of diving into a blue ocean you're joyously diving into a muddy ocean that is going to be really hard to swim in why am i diving in this ocean again oh i don't know it felt safer and that's where it's I'd rather you just take the budget you have and go to vegas and you know put it on black because it's your odds are six of success are much worse when you go towards that safety. when you so, make what everybody else is making sure it's a great yeah, point yeah your odds of roulette go way sky high as a better investment option and i don't think that's where you want to be in business where vegas is going to give you better odds another thing i see is in business there is a there's a language that we all use. And, and again, I don't know where this came from, but maybe it's the pursuit to look smart. But we use these phrases like best of breed, silos. Although in some applications, disparate silos is an acceptable term. But best of breed to drive results and impact. And all of these terms are, I guess there's schemas for larger things, but when you combine six schemas or phrases or 
like cliche things together, you make a sentence of nothing. <laughs> and when you look at B2B videos, oh my gosh, it's just a strung out 60 second, or, or sometimes they're even way longer. It's a thousand word blog post written in code and it's all smart code. It's code that makes us look smart, but actually is meaningless because when you combine multiple together, there is no, there's no like, there's no language that cuts through. There's no true original sure. thought. There's no true original thought there. And people are drawn to new opportunity. And what is it? And, and I think what's interesting, and after this, we should really get into tactics, but I, sometimes it's really fun to get into the frustrations. But I think that one of the things that I see a lot is that there, there are many ways to sell something to someone. There are, the, there, are, there are many different, that's not the right way to put it, but there are many different avenues that you need to go down to be able to convert someone into a customer. And you, you need to get them on board with you on a logical level. You need to get them on board with you on an emotional level and they need to trust you. And I think that there is not enough emphasis put on all three of those things at once in our marketing content, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're just worried so much about trust because we link trust to brand identity and we link brand identity to we want to be if we want to be trusted that means that we need to have a premium brand identity in order to have a premium brand identity we need to be very locked down and not making mistakes and if we're not making mistakes or perceived to be making mistakes that means that at the end of the day whatever you push out of that will end up towing the line and being safe and what ends up happening is you end up creating content that might be doing something to build trust, but basically you're not taking people logically or emotionally down the path to buying with you. So then you get into this situation where people are not saying, wow, I should reach out to that company or wow, I should click to instead, wow, there's probably a lot of people that buy that. And then they move on because, you know, because they're probably like, oh, that's a trustworthy company. I bet they're big and have a lot of customers. That's sort of it. They don't actually take action. Do you agree with me here uh, on this little mini analysis? Oh, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. And I'm stealing this from Blair Enns. He says in sales, there's two pretty distinct steps. Step one is you need to inspire your prospect. And then step two, as the as your prospect like gets closer to giving you money, you have to switch to reassuring your prospect. Early on, an early stage buyer, yeah, you can make a metaphor of a mountain climber, make a really cool spot that's loosely tied to your product. But then as your prospect learns about your company, engages with the blog and talks to a sales rep, late stage, you don't want to show them that mountain climber sexy, you know, sports car video or whatever, you need to show them data that this is going to be a good choice, that they're not making a mistake. And what I see is most B2B brands are purely in the reassure bucket and they're missing out on inspiring early stage prospects. Yeah, that's great. That makes a ton of sense to me. Okay. So let's go into tactics. So we're going to start right from the beginning, not tactics so much, but 
let's go through the process because I, I know a lot of my audience that a lot of you listening to this out there do run your own business and you're probably mostly selling to other businesses. A lot of you out there are marketers, I know, and, or you're freelancers and you want to know how to sell your own business. And whether you're a freelancer or you are an agency or you're a consultant or you have business products, uh, something like that, you're a SaaS company or you sell technology to companies, whatever it may be, it's all the same exercise. So where do we start? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> you mentioned that you start with the idea. And I think that one of the things about starting, it's, it's very vague to start with an idea because ideas are hard to come by. They're tough. What idea should I choose? Some people get stuck in that idea phase forever. Yeah. And I so actually, what are your, how do you get us unstuck out of that phase? That's great. And that's a great question. And I say, we actually back it up earlier than an idea. So when I say step one is come up with an idea, step two is make the video, right? Is produce the thing. So yeah. step one, come up with the idea is broken up into its own two steps. And, and the very first thing you have to do is come up with a strategy because without a strategy, any ideas you develop are subjective meaning if they are risky, they are seen as risky and squashed because you don't have a strategic leg to stand on. So it's just like all subjective. And basically the room, the stakeholders will always go towards the, they'll use their like risk sensing gut and always pick the least risky idea. To come up with an idea, first you need a solid strategy. So all of our engagements start with, tell me what you wanna do, and how you're going to use this piece of content if it's a, an ad. Are we talking awareness? Like we need brand awareness. Is it consideration, decision? And we have to be very clear on that. Sure. A, lot of, a lot of people will say awareness, but then really they needed something for consideration. Or a lot of times consideration, really they, they need brand awareness. So really nail down how you're going to use this. What channels are you going to use this piece of content on? Before generating ideas, focus on the mission. So my little metaphor is if the perfect video ad is a cruise missile, the video is the missile structure, but the strategy is the warhead. Because if I lob a cruise missile over without a warhead, it just, when it hits the ground, it just destroys the missile. Like it, it does no damage to the enemy or whatever. You need the warhead. The, so the video is just the delivery mechanism for the strategy, for your communication objective, for, for the inception, the message, right? What are you trying to get across? So that's why if you don't start with strategy, like, who are we speaking to and what do we need to tell them? And you start with just coming up with an sure. idea that's really cool. You have made a missile that can go really far, really fast. It's very shiny. It looks awesome. It has perfect guidance. And then when it hits the target, it does nothing because there was no warhead. So the strategy is programming that warhead. And our phases are who, what, when, why, where, competitive analysis, which is my favorite. So look at your direct and indirect competitors, look at what they're doing, 
what they're saying, how they're saying it, and then synthesize how we'll be different and literally use the George Costanza method. If you see all your competitors have a race car, do opposite of that and you will win by default. What else do we do? Persona, again, illustrate. And I, I don't go, I don't use personas as like a Bible or anything like that because there is no true Judy or whatever, but it is, it's better to use a persona than not, but sure. It's a useful of, exercise. Correct. Correct. I'm trying to think what else do we do? <laughs> I do this every day and I can't think. And basically the, by by looking at your competitors, by looking at your customer, and by programming what you want them to believe after engaging with this piece of content, you now have a box that all creative concepts need to fit inside of. And that will be your stakeholders or your kind of litmus test for any concepts because any concepts that fall outside that box will not hit the mission objectives. Yes, they could be a great ad that's funny and great, but it doesn't have the message. So first step is come up with that strategy and then generate ideas based on that ladder up to the strategy. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, just doing that dispassionate analytical strategic work will jog so many ideas out of your brain because they'll just like bubble to the surface because they're so logical. But if you were to look at those ideas without the strategy as the bedrock, some of those ideas would seem risky and slightly stupid. But then when you apply your strategic kind of framework to those ideas, the ideas now seem perfectly logical. Why would you not do that? It actually seems silly that we wouldn't do that crazy idea because there's logic to why the idea would work. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you never just want to say, I need a video. You can, but it doesn't make any, it's difficult because you have to, people don't think enough about how the things that they do in their business are going to make them money. That's one of my core beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> so how is this video going to help you uh, make money? If for example, it's for awareness. Okay. And, and how is that going to translate down your sales funnel? What's it going to do for you down your sales funnel? So what specific messaging do we need to use here to make sure that these people convert based on the rest of the sales funnel we have? If it's in the consideration phase, et cetera, you have very specific goals. So I think you're 100%. Okay. So I've got this idea for this. How do I make sure that I'm not making the same mistakes that everybody else does and that my stuff doesn't look the same as everybody else's? Well, that's where that competitive analysis. So just, you know, because this starts in the idea phase, right? You have, it has to. Yeah. Before the idea phase. So no, the, Competitive analysis is completely, there is no creativity needed in evaluating what the competitors are doing and coming up with like trends that you see. Well, I see that 75% of our competitors have some kind of race car metaphor. So let's not do that. Now that's a very logical, there was no brain power used in that, but we now know that all ideas must not include a race car. So it's again, it's like painting that box of what we will not do. I call it the subtractive method. I forget, there's some famous sculptor, I think Michelangelo maybe, or whoever sculpted David. He said, David was inside the rock. I just had to free him by subtracting the stuff that was around David. He didn't build David, he subtracted. And that's a great method to use. So if you feel like you're not creative, use the process of elimination 
that's a way easier way to work. Just take away things that you won't do to arrive at something that is logical that, yeah, we will do. And that's how you can avoid doing what everyone else is doing is by just looking. Now, there's some things that you may want to do, right? So there's some things that maybe your competitor is doing, but they didn't really nail where they were trying to go with this thing, but they didn't really hit it. Maybe leverage that in our thing. So definitely by looking around and not A lot of people look around to take ideas. What I see is look around to avoid them. Yeah, I like that subtract method. That's nice. I think that that's something that I know sometimes I've locked on to just doing that competitor analysis. And what a lot of people do is they do the opposite of that. They they do the competitive analysis and then they're like, okay, better replicate that because that works instead of going the opposite direction because it seems more risky. It's like, how do I know if I should do something if it doesn't work? And that's difficult. I guess that's where it makes sense to work with somebody like your agency or whatever. But at the same time, uh, it can be good to run the other way sometimes. It makes a whole lot of sense. There was a report that the B2B Institute put out and I love it. It's like the 2030 marketing trends in B2B. I forget what they talked about. I forget the title of it. If you go to the B2B Institute website's uh, website, you can find it. But they talked about how there was like this matrix of being contrarian versus not. And they broke down the logic that really the only way to make money and to grow your business is by being contrarian. Because if you're not, you're just sorry. If I copy all of Apple's stuff right now and their entire playbook. I will not become Apple. Apple's already done. I have to go make my own thing. And there's great logic. And, and that's why, yeah, you. it's all about that first thing I said. It's, it's getting your risk-taking hat on. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. We must take a creative risk together if we are going to stand out. Otherwise, if you make what everyone else is doing, you now move into the realm of proportionate success, meaning if there's nine other companies that do what you do, so you're, you now will have a win rate of one in 10, right? You will match everyone. So you'll join, you'll get your proportionate due. Whereas if you do something crazy, a little risky, you will have disproportionate success. You can raise that to one in five. And that's how you capture market share. You must be different. There's no other way, really. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've got our idea and we're moving on to the next step here. How do we start putting this thing in motion? So when I started making videos, we would say to our client, what day do you want to shoot? April 15th. Okay. We wouldn't really start thinking about anything. This is early days, right? Until, I don't know, April 7th. And when we started thinking about things, it was always like, All right, we'll arrive at 8 a.m. From 8 to 9, we'll load in. From 9 to noon, we will take B-roll around your office. From Then we'll do interviews, and then we'll take some more B-roll. And so there was no real planning. And so what I found out was, okay, you do your shoot, and then you are in post-production forever trying to make something out of what the kind of random stuff you shot. And... The older I get, the more I've been doing this over and over, I'm actually, it's now disproportionate in the opposite direction. Meaning if we're going to shoot April 15th, we are starting 
February 15th on the script, storyboards, mood boards, director's treatment. We may even do a rough edit, meaning you take the storyboards and put the, the music and the voiceover in and just see how it looks with just the storyboards, pre-visualize. And so all of the work now is made before the video is made. When you press record on that camera, that is just because you have to. You want to get to a place where nothing is in question and your shoot day is actually totally stress-free because everything has been pre-visualized, pre-thought of, planned for. And so that when things do throw you on the actual production, your mental load is freed up to dis to, to improvise around the disruption rather than that being just another thing that's on the pile of stuff we're trying to fly through and figure out at the last second. So it's the, the best spots, the best videos are made way before they're made, way before they're made. And what we found is nowadays when we deliver first cuts, it doesn't change. It used to be that a client would blow up our first draft, right? Meaning everything has to be scrapped and redone. Now, typically the first draft is usually how it ends up being delivered live. So make it, when you go to sleep at night, you have to be able to, and I'm talking to clients, agencies, whoever, you cannot have any vagueness in your mind of what this thing is going to look and feel like. You feel it. You just know it in your soul. And when you can get to that point, you're going to have a winner because there's no question marks going into the actual production. And that's what, and then now we can have fun and improvise and experiment with other things. And a practical tip I found too, which helps de-risk, because again, it, it keeps going back to risk. A great way to mitigate risk is come up with your risky idea, right? The one that's going to be flashy. And then using the same resources you have to produce that risky idea, come up with a very safe idea. So for example, we did a spot where it was a phone call between two business people and it was like a drama. It's a spot, but it's dramatic. There's no real advertising. It's more like you've watched, it's like a minute and a half short film. But to hedge our bet, in the middle of the day, we had one of the actresses look into the camera and just point blank, make an ad, make a 15 second ad saying with blah, 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 we've reduced our blah, 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 by blah, blah, logo. And it's a great way to, for really minimal incremental cost is now we can all breathe a sigh of relief, knowing that even if our crazy risky idea falls flat, we have this direct ad, this kind of safer direct ad. That's a little tip and something what we've done on pretty much every one of our sets. Okay. So how do I go about do like, how would you recommend a small and medium sized business technically attack something like this? And is it okay to be scrappy? Like what, like how do you advise people think about that? Love that question. I was literally over a few Manhattans two nights ago discussing this. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people get caught up in the medium of video, meaning again, so if I was a painter, my medium is painting and I'm, and, and, and I make paintings, but the painting is really my story. 
So as a video person, my medium is video, but really the video is just a story. And a lot of people get tripped up in, we're making a video. I don't know. How do we press like what camera? I don't know audio. And, and they get tripped up in the tech. So here's an easy way to look at it is the moon landing had awful technical filming quality. The picture is grainy. It's in black and white. The audio is terrible. The camera isn't level. They're like terribly lit, but it doesn't matter because what you're looking at is so powerful. It doesn't matter about the tech. You today looking at this video that's over 50 years old is still, whoa, can you imagine? So a lot of people make the mistake of doing the exact opposite. They have high fidelity recording, meaning they use the best tech and they hire the best technical people. They record a very high fidelity thing of a low fidelity story, meaning they put all their effort into the tech and the camera and the lighting and getting all the best everything. And then they forgot the actual thing that they're filming. So they have a very high fidelity, high quality image of a terrible story or low fidelity content. You want to reverse that. I'd rather you go low fidelity recording, i.e. iPhone, of a high fidelity story. Case in point, a uh, couple months ago, Marketing Week came out with this article about how most B2B ads are ineffective. I wrote a small script, a very short script for my daughters who are four and six. I went outside with an iPhone with them, no grip gear, no crew, iPhone, two daughters, about 25 minutes. We were done filming, edited it in 10 minutes using very basic editing. And the thing went viral on our social. It was a low fidelity recording of a high fidelity story or piece of content. Go, if you have to pick one, just go lo-fi, but make and put all your energy towards a hi-fi story. I love that. I love that. It's all about the energy, not about the stuff, right? <laughs> it's not at all about the stuff. I, yeah. Oh, no, I see. You can see a corporate video a mile away because it is all beautiful. The interviews look like it's, they were done on that Netflix food show. The interviews are perfectly lit. The B-roll is smooth and on dollies and drones. It's all beautiful. But then if you actually turn the volume up and listen to what's being said, it's a two and a half minute video filled with corporate speak tropes and superlatives that go nowhere. <laughs> Platitudes that are just empty, completely empty. That's a high fidelity recording of a low fidelity story. And that's usually why you get that kind of scuzzy feeling when you watch a corporate video. And so how do you, how do you move that to the, the phase of distribution and helping clients figure out what to do with this content or is like, how does that work? And I'm also wondering how you encounter or how you deal with this sort of idea of like, where is this video going to live? If you think it's worth making different versions of the video, depending on where it will be, any of that? Yeah, totally. I love this question because this is always an afterthought. It's a chronic afterthought. <laughs> and this should be the first thought. 
So the easiest way to do this is think of peso, the peso model, paid, earned, shared, owned. And if you don't know what this is, you can Google it. Peso, I guess you'll get a lot of stuff about the Mexican currency, but you'll also, you'll get this model in the framework and it'll define all the channels that lay inside paid, earned, shared, and owned. You do not have to be a marketing wizard to do this exercise. Take one of those frameworks, put it out on a whiteboard or in a virtual Zoom and brainstorm all the different channels that you can distribute your piece of content to using the peso model as your trigger. Because most people, when they think of distribution, they just think of paid, but paid is only one quarter of that model. There's earned, shared, and owned, which are all free or slightly free, right? Or they're not paid because paid is great. It gets you instant results, but the second you turn it off, it goes away. Whereas the other channels have a half-life. And in some channels, there is no half. Like YouTube, what we've found is forget half-life on YouTube. Actually, we find it accelerates over time or at least stays constant. Usually on other social networks like LinkedIn, you get 48 hours and then it's done and it's kaput. So take that peso model and start writing down all the channels you can send to and think this think run it through this test is who has intrinsic interest in seeing this who is intrinsically interested like who would watch this thing on their own time or when they see it they're like yes this is what i've been saying and then they get excited which channels is it a blogger is it a person of influence in your sphere? Don't discount people that serve your industry. So like consultants, because consultants sometimes stretch across into your clientele. So could consultants pick up this ad and say, and retweet it to their audience. Think about who has, who has audience, who has eyeballs and leverage those eyeballs. And again, it's not just paid. It's not just putting it on your website. There are tons and tons and limitless channels inside paid, earned, shared, owned. That's how we do it. And it's work. Does it work all the time? No. And anyone that says that it can work all the time, I think is why you need to have diversification, right? You don't want to see, I, I go back and forth on this. You do want diversification so that if something doesn't work. We don't lose altogether, but you also don't want to over diversify where like you're spread too thin creatively. You do want to bucket your direction into one major bucket and then probably have little side buckets just for security for insurance policy. This is great stuff. This is awesome. It's got me thinking a little bit differently about, about B2B marketing for myself and for others. It's so easy to fit into templates and molds. And it's so easy to think that it needs to be high production value. And it's so easy to want to lean on trust when you're in a competitive market rather than lean on, you know, lean on being the unicorn. But maybe we need to focus on being the unicorn a little bit more. Thank you so much, Guy. Where, where can we learn more about you? Yeah, you can actually, we set up a page for your listeners and I'm great bring that up. I believe it's umalt.com slash video marketing podcast. So it's U-M-A-U-L-T.com slash video marketing podcast. We have links to a free guide, seven ways to avoid making a corporate video. We have our B2B brand film masterclass that's 
completely free, i.e. we don't even ask for an email address, like nothing. You're not going to be put into a funnel and some other fun things on that site. So that'll all be there for your listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you all for being here. I appreciate you and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Matt. Um, Okay. Y'all, if you want to find out more about my coaching, I never talk about this, but I should talk about it more. MattJohnstonOnline.com. You can get more information. Um, And if you wanted to book a call with the team to talk about it, I mean, I have super affordable, super powerful coaching options for folks who, especially are in competitive markets and having a hard time standing out um, and need to sort of burst through. Um, I help those folks a lot out there. Um, So I hope you're well. And uh, have an amazing, amazing weekend, rest of your week, whenever you're listening to this. um, And stay safe out there. Okay, take care.